Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of How We Made It in E-Commerce. Our guest today is Adrian Owl, the CEO of Ford, a preventive healthcare company founded by former employees of Google and Uber alongside Adrian. Adrian was previously the founder of a startup called Wavi, which he sold to Google for $30 million. He's also a prolific angel investor with dozens of successful bets to his name, including companies like Pinterest and ClassPass that, that was recently a guest here. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Excited to be on. Let's get started. From your website, Ford's slogan is personalized preventive healthcare. And I believe the company was founded on the premise that 40% of deaths from leading causes are preventable. And so you'd like to do something about that. Could you briefly explain how the service works? Who is your target audience? Does it replace traditional health insurance? So one of the things that we realized in the world of healthcare is that most people, when they try to uh, when they try to improve the world of healthcare, they really kind of always take a uh, what I call the widget approach, right? They kind of built their widget, they send it into the existing world of healthcare, and they hope overnight that the world of healthcare is going to all of a sudden start playing nice. We uh, were a little skeptical of that approach, so we decided to say, well, what would happen if we rethought the entire healthcare industry from the ground up? What would it look like if you literally kind of started to rebuild every single part of it from first principles and from scratch? So what we did is we started by building our own doctor's offices, right? And so we're fully vertically integrated. We build our own hardware. We build our own software. We run our own labs. We have our own doctors. Soup to nuts. We are the whole experience. We have locations all across the United States. We have locations in San Francisco, LA, Chicago, New York, D.C., and a whole bunch popping up all around the country as we speak. I'm trying just a couple of cities. There's somebody's going to scream at me later for that. And the way that it works is you know, normally when you go to the doctor, it's super reactive, right? It's like, I'm here for the rash. We deal with the rash. We send you on. And so we know rashes aren't what's killing people, right? We know it's the heart disease, the cancer, the blood pressure. And so when people walk into a Ford, we take the time to get what we call a baseline of understanding their health. We do that by using a few different technologies. The first is when you, when you start by walking into a Ford, you start by walking up to this big, beautiful body scanner that we developed. It's a really, uh, really great piece of hardware. It's, uh, it's nice, beautiful. You stand on it. And in just a few seconds, it takes things like it's a bunch of your biometrics, things like your, your temperature, your heart rate, what's called your pulse oximetry, which is a measure of how much, uh, how much oxygen is pumping from your lungs into your bloodstream. We actually built even features that are coming soon, things like an EKG or even things like uh, taking your respiratory rate. And then what it does is it kind of takes all of these kind of biometrics, channels them into the exam room for you and the doctor to go over shortly. The second thing that we do is that we, uh, we draw some blood. Now, normally when you go to, the, go to the doctor and they draw that blood, it's farmed out to some lab somewhere. Results come back, I don't know, three, four or five days later. So you and the doctor are kind of flying blind during the appointment. We didn't like that. So at each of our locations, we actually built the blood processing facility right there on site so we can process your blood live. We actually get the results straight into the exam room in under 12 months. We, after the blood, can actually even sequence your DNA so that we can start to look for which diseases your genetics tell us, which diseases you're more at risk to develop in your coming few decades of life so we can start to build preventative plans. So all this information is channeled into the exam room. So when you walk into the exam room, it's a big, beautiful touch screen on the wall. It's kind of our PS3 installs. It's what we call the forward smart screen. It's got a model of your body on, on it, and it overlaid all the information that we've learned about you. 
Anything that you and your doctor talk about, the information is actually picked up by the screen in almost a Siri-like interface. Any sensors your doctor uses, if they take a stethoscope to you, you can actually see it live on the screen right there in front of you. And the idea is to build an incredibly rich profile of understanding of everything that's going on with your body. So we have all the information necessary to build the best preventative treatment plans that are personalized to you. But we don't call it there. We don't say, okay, good luck. We'll see you in a year. We actually send you home with treatment plans to continue to monitor your progress throughout the year. Via your smartphone and your mobile app, we have automated kind of bots that will check in with you and monitor your progression towards your goals over time. We have a 24-7 team worldwide that's just monitoring those metrics to ensure you're always making progress towards your goal and we're always there. So you then said, well, who's your target audience? Well, at the end of the day, we're working on healthcare. So who isn't our target audience, right? I mean, you tell me the person who uh, who isn't going to die, and I'll tell you that person is probably not going to be our customer. But at the end of the day, we're, we all have health problems. I know you, you're probably thinking, no, I'm young, I'm healthy. But like at the end of the day, I don't know, when, whenever people tell me they're healthy, I go, really? Does that mean you're not going to die? Because I think I'm going to die, and I feel healthy too. So, so at the end of the day, we all have something we can prevent. We all need help from a health perspective. Some of us think we feel healthy, and you know, feeling healthy probably isn't the right metric we should be using. U.S. doesn't replace traditional health insurance. So the way we think about it is, is we have some members who have health insurance. In addition, we have some members who don't have health insurance. In addition, uh, in our perfect world, everybody would have uh, health insurance. In addition, but frankly, health insurance is so ridiculously expensive these days. We get why some people don't. Our goal at Ford is to rebuild the entire healthcare system over time. So we're slowly but surely expanding into more and more services. So earlier this year, we launched dermatology, for example where we now built a sensor, it's called the dermatoscope, it's a handheld kind of high resolution 3D camera. Your doctor can take along your skin to map out your moles and lesions, see them on the screen in front of you, and it allows us to monitor which bones are becoming malignant. We, uh, we recently launched our first foray into mental health, which is built into your mobile app. And uh, it's a questionnaire where you answer some questions and allows us to monitor over time, basically your stress and anxiety levels allows us to give you treatments and recommendations for it. So what you see is that over time, Ford is slowly but surely expanding our offerings until one day, hopefully many years from now, we've rebuilt the entire healthcare system and you don't even need health insurance. But until then, it's probably a good idea if you can afford it to uh, to get that insurance. But is that kind of helpful? That is helpful. Very impressive how you describe it. This new hardware machine you've built that scans my body and tells me everything that's wrong with me and detect problems early. And then you you have this vertically integrated operation. You have your own doctors. Sounds yeah. very impressive, but also sounds very expensive. So what's the typical cost per month? Yeah, so it's, the good news is there isn't a typical. There's just one price. Okay. Everybody has one price. No copays, no upsells. We make it really, really easy for it. So we charge $149 a month. And again, this includes everything from your blood test to unlimited visits to talking to us 24-7 to now the dermatology to now the mental health to every single feature we launch is included, period, full stop, in that $149 a month. So you look at that and immediately you start thinking, wait a minute, my deductible on my health insurance, and I'm pretty sure just using my deductible is more expensive than Ford. So what's really funny is that even for people who have fancy health plans, signing up for Ford and using Ford is often less expensive than using the existing health plan that you thought you already paid for. That's how messed up the existing world of healthcare is. Think about the existing world of healthcare. It's like, imagine if you went into an Apple store, you were looking at the latest iPhone, you're like, hey, this is a pretty cool iPhone. I think I want this. And they were like, take it, it's yours. 
you leave the store, you're like, that felt pretty good. I kind of like this phone. And then four months later, you get a bill in the mail for $832.62. And you're like, what's this bill for? How'd they come to that amount? Oh, too bad. You don't get to know that when you took the phone. We're just going to surprise you with a bill. Good luck. Well, that's the existing world of healthcare. Ford, we didn't like that. So we said, we're going to make it clean and simple. $149 a month. That's it. No surprises, no gotchas, no upsells. That's it. And it includes every single thing that Ford has to offer. That makes sense? That makes sense. It sounds almost too good to be true. Your earlier point about your vision is to reimagine and rebuild the whole healthcare system from the ground up, right? So initially, you're going to coexist with a state of things. I'm assuming that most people will maintain their existing health insurance and also get your 179 plan. But then over time, you hope to to wean them off that. Is that so how you think about it? It's an interesting view of the world. So um, uh, your your view of the world is one of, a, of an employed man, I'll tell you that. So uh-huh. it turns out about half of our members are uh, are unemployed, right? So imagine okay. you're an Uber driver. You're driving for Uber and you're like, wait a minute, I don't have health insurance. You go on to the, uh, the what's called the Affordable Care Act, the exchange, right? So you go to buy your, your insurance plan. Turns out in California, the cheapest plan is $335 a month. And actually, it's got about $7,800 deductible. So here's the deal. I can't afford it. And even if I could afford it, I can't afford to use it. So I could sign up for that or I could sign up for Ford for $149 a month. So what you find is that a lot of people are actually just signing up for it in lieu of that insurance. So again, about half of our members don't have insurance. Again, let me go a step further. Now let's pretend you're a McDonald's employee. You have health insurance, but let's be real. It's not very good. And it turns out you might be diabetic. So what's that mean? Well, every couple months, maybe every two months or so, you got to go to the doctor, you got to check it. So what's that mean? It means you're skipping work. You go in, God knows your, your, your boss is not happy with you skipping work, right? They're threatening to fire you. But even if they're not threatening to fire you, you know you're missing those wages. All of a sudden you get there, you got to pay for those blood tests, you got to sit in, the, sit in the office for hours on end. You can't afford this. Or you sign up for Ford, you just message us in the app. If you do need to come in for a blood test, you're in and out in two minutes. All of a sudden, you realize literally even for that McDonald's employee for it is a better deal than what they have today. So again, what you find is that kind of across the spectrum of work, it really, really makes sense for a lot of people. I see. I am self-employed, pay for my own insurance. Right. <laughs> and now you're, you are tempting me to take a serious look at, at Ford. We'll return to this if we have time, maybe do a deeper dive. But for now, let's move on to the next few questions. So how has the market received your offering and what kind of growth rates are you seeing? Yeah, so we, uh, we're one of those obnoxious companies that doesn't share numbers, but here's what I'll tell you. You can do the math yourself. We've been around just about four years to a little over 48 months. We went from not existing to a national healthcare system. I think we have 11 locations live in nine different geographies right now. You can imagine the market's received this pretty well thus far. It's been an interesting year with COVID. It's funny because, you know, in some ways, COVID was a, was a very scary uh, start to the year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, every business out there, even in North Dakota or healthcare, every business was just like, what does this mean? Is this, you know, is this going to be the Great Depression? Is, you know, global pandemic is a very scary thing for a business. Obviously, being in the world of healthcare kind of puts you on the other side of that coin. I don't think anybody should be excited about pandemic by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, you can look at what it's done for the healthcare industry. There's, been, there's definitely been some negative aspects, but there's been a lot of positive aspects. I'd say in the long term, one of the exciting things is Obviously, COVID and its effect on, on humanity has been really awful. But if there's a silver lining, it's that people are now demanding more from the industry of healthcare. They're demanding a better healthcare product. And there's far, far, far more investment in the, um, in the field of healthcare, particularly in the technology aspects. And that's really exciting because I think in the long run, if we're going to pay the price of, 
of an enormous amount of economic damage, an enormous amount of pain and suffering. Hopefully, we get a long-term benefit of uh, of the world, you know, kind of pivoting towards better healthcare that uh, that helps many. Awesome. So, would you say it's hockey stick type of growth at all that I'm sure your investors crave? Yes or no? Uh, it's never that simple, so I'm not going to answer <laughs> yes or no. But, uh, but we've been happy with our uh, with our metrics, my friends. Okay. Your website emphasizes technology and technology solutions to healthcare problems a lot, which is very common among Silicon Valley techie types. There's this book called Geek Hearsay that says techies often naively think that they can solve every problem with technology. You know, the, the classic, if, if your only tool is a, is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. But there are usually other kinds of impediments preventing adoption of brilliant technical solution politics policy, entrenched interest. You know, there's a famous uh, Upton Sinclair saying that it's very hard to get a man to understand something when his income depends on not understanding it. Various pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, they're suffering from that. So what's your take on this whole notion of we'll just storm in with technology and, and solve every problem? And then how are you getting around some of the powerful interests that wouldn't want you to succeed? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think it's worth pointing out that I think that book was written by a former MSR, a former Microsoft research. So the irony, the irony here is, uh, is 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 overwhelming. But let's put that aside for a second. The reality is that this uh, your question is frankly a little too dogmatic, right? The way I think about it is, we're not a technology company, but we're also not a healthcare company. Okay. We don't focus on the industry. We don't worry about entrenched interests. We focus on one person, one person only, and that's the person that we're serving. Okay. We call that our members, right? You might call that the customer. At the end of the day, we are a company that builds consumer products. I don't think of myself as being in the healthcare industry the same way that Google doesn't think of themselves as being, you know, filled with librarians, right? Yes, we happen to be doing things that relate to health. Yes, we happen to be doing things that relate to technology. But at the end of the day, we build products that serve people, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as you lose sight of that, that's where things start to go wrong. If you look at for say that we are a technology company is a really kind of convenient label. But at the end of the day, we're about 400, maybe 500 employees right now. And at the end of the day, several hundred of those, maybe 300 of them, they're clinicians, they're nurse practitioners, they're medical assistants, they're doctors, they're registered nurses, and they have a hand in building this product. Some of them are software engineers, some of them are hardware engineers. But you know what? We also have operations. We also have people in facilities. We also have marketers. Every single person has one element in common, which is they are trying to serve the member. We don't forget who we're here for. We don't forget what we're trying to do. The second we start focusing on technology, we become dogmatic. And you're right. Everything starts to, you know, we're the hammer and everything starts to look like a nail. The second we focus on healthcare, you have the same problem. The second you focus on the industry, you have the same problem. So we put our heads down and we focus on doing what's right by people. As long as you do that, one day you'll wake up and you'll have done the kind of right thing for the long term. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. I can appreciate the obsessiveness about the customer and what's right for them versus we're technology or we're healthcare. So yeah, that clears things up. And say you succeed wildly at your goal and you drastically reduce 40% of preventable deaths in the US. Obviously, the population would grow a lot faster. Do you think we would then have <laughs> some kind of Malthusian apocalypse where we run out of resources? If you succeeded that well, I mean, there's, there's that possibility. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Yeah. yeah, it's a great question. It's, uh, it's a wonderful question. So let's take the question to the limit for a second, right? Whenever you have a thought experiment, it's really helpful to just kind of go to the limit. 
So by that standard, maybe you're right, right? Let's presume you're right for a second. Does that mean that when you have a uh, when you have a little paper cut, it shouldn't be a bandaid on? Does that mean when you have a gunshot, I shouldn't try to uh, I shouldn't try to uh, heal you or or save you? Of course not, right? Part of humanity is a really simple equation, right? Part of humanity is that we help each other and we never lose sight of that. Does that mean that we need more technology as the world progresses? Does that mean that we need more technology as the world overpopulates? Does that mean that we need more technology as more resources? Absolutely. That's the game of humanity, right? The game of humanity is that, yes, as we grow uh, in population, there's zero question that we will need to develop more technology to support those people. But I'm a techno-optimist, right? I think that we've come this far, and I think that we're just getting started. And when I look at the power of technology, when I look at the things, the creativity of humanity, the things that we've been able to do just in the last few hundred years, I project out to what we're going to be able to do in the next few hundred. I think that the notion that the notion that we shouldn't try to help people that are suffering merely because of some selfish notion that we might overpopulate the planet is, is borderline absurd. By the way, that's a fairly similar argument that was used with, uh, with some people in mass genocide in the last century or two. So I'd be really careful with those arguments. But no, I think that pain and suffering in this world uh, needs to end. We'll put our heads down. We'll keep working on it until we get Good answer. And so just to, to clarify, I wasn't suggesting that on a one-on-one basis, you don't help an individual who has a gunshot wound or who's had an accident because of overpopulation. But the, the reality is that if you succeed wildly at a macro level, that's an inevitable outcome at a macro level, right? That was where the question was coming from. Right. Yeah. Technology yeah. begets more technology and that's the right. beauty of it, right? One way to think about it is that like we have succeeded as such we've created global warming, right? Global warming is a byproduct of the fact that we've succeeded in energy production. We've succeeded in creating society. Like that, that's a clear byproduct and we should go solve that problem. And after we solve that problem, I'm sure we're going to have another problem. That's kind of humanity and, that, and that's the ball game we're playing. Fair enough. Let's let's shift gears. Uh, you you recently wrote an opinion piece stating that the reason the American healthcare system is broken, spending more does not lead to better outcomes, is that providers are not directly accountable to users. Most people get healthcare through the government or their employers, and so you're saying that if people buy healthcare directly, the providers are accountable to users, and that will change things. And so you're proposing giving every person. to pay for their own healthcare. And you cite Singapore as a successful example of this model. So in the US, how would that work in practice? How would we go from where we are today to the model you envision? Yeah, I'm proposing this more as a thought experiment than a pragmatic reality. But what I'm trying to get at is really simple, which is today, because you don't have consumer pressure and you don't have competition for consumers, because you have this entrenched interest, um, and you have um, misaligned interests, you get a pretty terrible outcome, right? So imagine like what industry you would be in today where you think it's okay to walk into a doctor's office and you stand there. Like imagine one day telling your kids what a doctor does. Like, well, son, I, I walked into the doctor's office and there's kind of this, uh, this person in a white coat and I, I kind of told them what was wrong with me and they kind of sat there and they divined my uh, my condition and they they told me what's oh oh you went to a fortune teller it's like no 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 they weren't a fortune teller we called them a doctor but basically doctors are the fortune tellers of our time now now how did we end up here like how did we end up in this world because doctors are highly educated doctors are incredibly incredibly well compensated so like 
what what went wrong? And you quickly realize that like we haven't set doctors up for success. The industry has given them the most awful tools. Like imagine if you took your car to the mechanic. You told the mechanic, hey, here's what's wrong with my car. And the mechanic just kind of stood there, kind of looked at your car from a distance and said, mm, you need a new carburetor. Like, what are you doing? Time out. I'm like giving you $800 for a carburetor. Go plug the computer in. I want to see it on the screen until that thing tells me I need a new carburetor. I don't believe you, right? Like, well, where the hell is the computer for my body? Like, you wouldn't go up to a software engineer and ask him to build you a website, but not hand him a laptop, which is the sum culmination of all technology in a two pound device. But for some reason, it's totally okay to go up to a doctor and say, save my life. And you hand them a stethoscope, which is literally a hollow tube invented in 1860. You remember when you were a kid and you wanted to like hear what your parents were saying in the other room and you like took the glass up to the door and held it there? That's a stethoscope. Like take one, cut it open. It's hollow. There's nothing inside. That's what you're relying on to save your life. Now ask yourself, why did we end up here? How is that the best tool that we're handing our doctors? Well, you quickly realize it's because the the incentives of the industry are awful. That health insurer, they're getting paid no matter what, right? They have no incentive to do a better job. So what I want to do is I want to put the power back in your hands. I want you to be able to decide actually what's best for you. Not some random person at Blue Cross, not some random person at United Healthcare that, let's be honest, doesn't give a shit about you. It gets even worse. Today, insurance is paid for, for the vast majority of people, as you identified, in the United States paid for by the employer. Well, the average person in the Bay Area is with their employer for about two and a quarter years. So you ever notice this kind of little nuance, which is like your employer comes up to you and says, hey, you should go get a flu shot, right? But they don't come up to you and say, hey, will you sequence your DNA to understand the heart disease that you're going to have in your 40s and 50s? Wait a minute, why are they asking me to get a flu shot, but not to sequence my DNA to understand the heart disease? Because I'm not going to die of the flu, right? Like probabilistically, that's really unlikely. But that heart disease, that is probably going to kill me. Why are they doing that? Well, again, you're going to probably be with that employer for two and a quarter years. You get the flu, you miss a day of work. That heart disease, that's the next guy's problem. That employer doesn't care about that, right? So what you quickly realize is the incentives are massively misaligned. I want to take that control and I want to put it back in your hands. I want you to be in charge of your health. The same way that I don't let my employer sit here and define like what I eat for dinner. I don't let my employer define where I live. I don't let my employer define who I date. I don't want my employer to define like how my health uh, works. There's nothing more important, nothing more private, nothing more personal or intimate about your health. Where on earth, like how did we get to this world where it's being decided by, by people behind desks and in benefits offices, by insurers? It's the most disastrous thing I could ever possibly imagine. Got it. Wow. You're clearly passionate about the topic and clearly mission-driven. Love it, love it, love it. What would you say are the main challenges in your business today from a marketing e-commerce business perspective rather than healthcare technology? So one of the things that's both exciting and terrifying about a company like Ford is we're in a category of one, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want a high-tech doctor's office. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to pay $149 a month for this new way of doing healthcare. Nobody wakes up in the morning even knowing what forward is, knowing how to think about it. That's both the challenge and the opportunity, right? And so from our perspective, like, you know, most widgets that you sell on the internet, it's pretty simple. It's like, hey, you were buying this thing over here before, now just buy it from us. Ours is slightly better. But Ford is very different. We have nobody to compare it to. We have no frame of reference. In fact, we're saying like, hey, you didn't even know this thing existed, much less know that you want it. We have to educate you about it and now tell you that you should come buy it. 
we've been very successful at that knock on wood. It's worked pretty well for us. But you're in essence defining a category or what they call a category of one. That's a terrifying thing. That's not an easy thing to do, right? You're trying to build a business, trying to operate a business at the same time as like educating an entire consumer base about what this can be. Now, the nice thing is that consumers love health, right? We know this, right? We're all wearing Fitbits, Apple Watches. We're all buying Lululemon, Nikes because we, you know, we're going and buying organic food and, you know, drinking smoothies because somehow we believe those things are going to make us live longer. But like you and I both know like that smoothie is not going to actually save your life, right? Like organic food is not actually going to let you live longer. And so the whole ballgame here is to take what consumers already believe and already know, which is they care about their health, and show them that actually there's a real way to do it. There's a hardcore, like real medical way to apply all this passion, all this energy to something that can improve your life. Yeah, so there's a company, Seattle-based company called 98.6 that from their website, they seem to be doing some similar things to you, like they've emphasized preventive healthcare and telemedicine. Like how, how do you compare to them? Yeah, so I don't know much about them, but one of the things that I've seen is that there's a lot of companies out there that basically build different features of forward, right? It's like, I'm going to build a mobile app or I'm going to build just a piece of hardware. I'm going to build... But nobody stuck them all together and said, I'm going to just rethink the entire problem. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these telemedicine systems, right, where it's like, hey, I'm going to go chat with you. Or I'm going to go have a video visit. I love those. I did one the other day where I had a video visit. Just I was trying some of these products. And I had a video visit with a doctor. And I had something pretty real going on. And I'm literally talking to a doctor by a video. And you know what the doctor said? The doctor was like, oh, I can't deal with that. You should go see a doctor. I'm like, huh, wait, I thought I was seeing a doctor. Like, that's how broken these experiences are. You can't act like this is this is the mistake of most of these tech companies. They try to skate around the edges. They try to build like this kind of thin software layer. And look, healthcare is a real business. Healthcare is a real, real, it's, it's a messy, messy, messy uh, kind of service and business. Ask anybody who stepped foot into a hospital, ask anybody who's delivered real healthcare. It's just not that easy. It's not traditional tech, right? It's it's real life. Um, uh, at Ford, we do real procedures, right? We've got real doctors. They're there's all sorts of, you, you've seen the human body. There's all sorts of not fun things that, uh, that occur with the human body on a regular basis. And until you're willing to get your hands dirty and build the whole healthcare system, you're never going to actually tackle this problem. You're always going to skate around the edges. That's how we think about it. And that's why we decided to go after the core of the problem from day one. Let's delve deeper into some of the things you said earlier. You know, you're, you're vertically integrated. You have your own doctors. You have this proprietary hardware. But you, you only charge 149 So So two questions. How are you able to do that for such a low cost? Is it that today we're just getting massively ripped off and healthcare doesn't actually cost yeah, that much to deliver? That, that's the first question. And then the second is, say I come to you and you do this body scan and you find that I need quadruple bypass surgery. And I say, okay, I want it. Does that 149 cover everything or am I now saddled with other costs? So the way that we're able to bring our costs down so much is that today, healthcare is predominantly a labor-based business, right? It just turns out that, you know, $200,000 a year doctors don't scale very well. So what Forward does is we try to basically automate through as much of the road routine nonsense as possible. We're just saving our doctors, saving our nurses, saving our care coordinators as much time as possible by building technology. And that's really great because... From your perspective, it's much more convenient to just interact with a piece of technology on the things that are rote and routine, as opposed to kind of going and trying to get somebody on the phone, et cetera. Now, that's how we're able to lower the cost. We've just been able to kind of just get rid of so much overhead and so much kind of nonsense. Now, your second question is a really interesting one, which is, let's say you do come in and we say, hey, you need that quadruple bypass. So remember, I said from the beginning, 
Forward's goal is to rebuild the entire healthcare system from the ground up. We'd love to do that. But we also know that that's going to take us many, many, many years. So one day I would like to do that quadruple bypass, and I would like that to be included in the 149 month. But I'm certainly not there yet, and I'm probably a few decades away from that. So today what we do is we're happy to refer you out into the existing system. So if you do have insurance, we'll go ahead and make sure we're referring you into a place that kind of works with your insurance, et cetera. We'll get your records over to them. You see them. We'll go pull your records back and kind of do the ongoing care management, et cetera. But the way to think about it is that we're constantly looking at what are the things that we're referring people out to and saying, great, can we build that in-house? And that's why we started building some of dermatology. That's why we built, started building some of cardiology. That's why we started building some of mental health, because we're slowly but surely kind of chipping away at the most frequent ones on that list to make it so that you never need to uh, leave our healthcare system. And so one day it starts to look a little more like your uh, your iPhone, right? The first day of the iPhone, you realize like, you know, there are only a couple apps, but you know, five years later, there were a lot more apps. 10 years later, it kind of does almost everything, right? And slowly but surely made it that you didn't need to carry around uh, other devices. When you first got your iPhone, you still had a Walkman, you still had a digital camera, you still had GPS. Two years later, you didn't need your Walkman. And two years later, you didn't need your camera. Two years later, you didn't need your GPS. And that's kind of the same, uh, the same route we're going, if that makes sense. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So last two questions that we ask all our guests. The first is, who are two CEOs from the e-commerce age that you admire most? And briefly tell us why. From the e-commerce age? Yeah. New economy CEOs that you admire most. Two CEOs that I admire most. Well, I had the pleasure of working with Larry Page. So I'll definitely put Larry Page on that list. Uh, he was a very difficult person to work with at that time, so I'll tell you that much. But one of the things that I credit Larry a lot with is Larry thinks very, very, uh, thinks of very large scale. He thinks about kind of change at scale that most people don't. You know, when you think of Google and you think of things like, well, why don't we just drive a car down every single street on the planet to map out the planet? Why don't we, you know, lay fiber to connect every single place on this planet with fiber? Why don't we put balloons in the sky to cover every single part of the planet? You very quickly realize the scale at which he kind of ponders and thinks about things is incredibly impressive. That's one for sure. Another CEO that I tend to admire, who's maybe less of an e-commerce CEO, but, but definitely of the kind of modern technology age and is more of a startup, is Pat Brown. Pat Brown runs a company called Impossible Foods. Impossible is a company that when I was at Google, I uh, actually tried to buy or into, into Google for a good, uh, good half a billion or so. And the reason I think uh, Impossible Foods is really fantastic is they're trying to solve the problem of kind of global warming. They're trying to do it with, uh, with lab-grown meat, basically meat that comes from plants, not animals. And I think the thing that's so, so incredibly wise about what he's trying to do is He's not trying to fight natural human inclination. Natural human inclination is we want to consume energy, we want to eat meat. He said, I'm going to meet you where you are, not try and change your behavior. I'm going to give you something that tastes like meat, not ask you to become a vegetarian overnight. And he does it with, uh, with an incredibly mission-oriented event. Um, he's not doing it to make money. He's doing it to better the planet for that. I, I'm not uh, giving a lot of respect. Awesome. What's one piece of e-commerce advice you'd like to leave with your audience? You know, perhaps something you wish you'd known before you started your, your journey as an entrepreneur. One thing that kind of served me very, very well, um, uh, I've got probably, uh, I actually have a little, a little page of things that I write down that are like the, the key things that I try to always remember. And there's probably about 10 or 15 on that page right now. But one of them that, that served me very well is the problem is always more important than the solution. 
One thing that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs do, and I've made this mistake many times myself, is we always start by saying, "Hey, I've come up with an idea." We always say, "What's your idea?" Right? What's your pitch? And in fact, whatever idea you come up with, let's just presume it's wrong. It's, you're going to iterate. You're going to realize in two weeks that you can do better, and you can do better, and you can do better. So don't attach yourself to the idea. Attach yourself to the problem. What problem do you want to solve? Because problems tend not to change, right? Solutions tend to change. At Ford, we don't think of ourselves as a company that builds high-tech doctors' offices, right? We think of our company that serves serves people and tries to make them healthier. Today, maybe that the right way to do that is to build doctors' offices and put doctors in them. But you know what? Tomorrow, a better solution might come along. As long as you attach yourself to problems, you'll usually do the right thing. Attach yourself to solutions, you become dogmatic, and you start to go down the wrong path. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adrian. I enjoyed chatting with you. I hope you succeed in your mission phenomenally and then make healthcare affordable to the masses. Thank you. Not at all. It was a pleasure. It was absolutely a pleasure, sir.